Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Amen. Mercy Church, how y'all doing this morning? Good. It's really good uh, to be with you today. If I've not met, met you yet, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of college and pastor of missions. And I'm really thankful to be uh, here this morning in our first week of our Advent series Um, You know, I feel like sometimes in our first week of an Advent series, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but Thanksgiving just ended, and then you're like, wait a minute, now we're talking about Christmas, you know, we just had family in town, too much drama, I ain't ready for Christmas, hustle and bustle, I ain't ready for that, right? Well, uh, good news for you is that uh, just like Advent, you know, Jesus came when the people were not ready for it, Uh, so you are in good company uh, this morning, and again, I'm really glad Uh, to be with you here this morning. Um, Y'all, I feel like uh, one of the things that we struggle with most uh, in following Jesus, especially if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, is that Advent and Christmas can kind of feel, you know, just blah, right? Like, 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 you know, you've been there, you've done that, you know this story, right? It's almost like, you know, you grew up uh, by the Grand Canyon. Uh, I don't know anybody that did, but it, it, I would imagine it would be like this, right? Like you grew up by the Grand Canyon and you're used to seeing the Grand Canyon every day and it's wonder and it's grandeur. And then you look at it and you're like, well, you know, I see it every day and you know, it just is what it is. You're right. It is awesome. Uh, but you know, I'm just kind of used to it. And I feel like for most of us, especially if you grew up in church, that's oftentimes what Christmas ends up being, and you lose this wonderment, this, this, this awakening wonder that you should have during the Christmas season. And I think rather than that, you know, your time probably looks like, you know, you, you get, re- how many of you are really like Christmas people? Raise your hand, like Christmas people, like, okay, put your hand down. All right, how many of you, you better be honest here because the Lord is watching. How many of you uh, have, have been playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Okay, how dare all of you, okay? How dare all of you? But I get it, right? I get it. I get it. You know, we get this feeling of we're reminded during the Christmas season, like we love being with our family. You know, we get this feeling of nostalgia when we're back at grandma's house, you know, because we opened presents right there every year and now we're here again. Or maybe it's just that, you know, that feeling of drinking hot cocoa by the fire. Uh, and, and, you know, you just get overwhelmed by the season, but ra- rather than being overwhelmed by Jesus, right? And I feel like what we need right now, what the church needs and what you need specifically is you need to be awakened to the wonder of Christ and his coming. You know, I know I need that. Admittedly, my heart, uh, almost every, every Christmas, you know, this has been my whole life. You know, what I know to be true up here during the Christmas season rarely ever gets down here into my heart, and I'm rarely affected by it and moved uh, by the gospel. And I don't, I don't know, maybe you feel the same. Uh, but I also know that during Christmas time, you know, what should be a season of joy for many of you can be a season of sadness or frustration and, 
and disappointment. You know, I know members by name this year um, that will be without loved ones for the first time during Christmas. And I also know that there will be others of you that will go home and will be reminded of the dysfunction that's going on in your families, right? Maybe some of you already experienced that at Thanksgiving. Um, But you'll be reminded again of the people that you know and that you love that are far from God. Um, Or maybe you're reminded that you're still single, you know, after a long time you've wanted to be married, or maybe you're really close to retirement, or maybe you are retired, and then you, as you look back on your life, all you see is regret, and I wish I would have done something different. And you look at this time and this season, and it's just, what we need is to be awakened to the gospel. What we need is to be awakened to his goodness. So if that's you right now, you know, that's our hope for you during this Advent season, is that you will be awakened to the wonder and to the glory of Jesus Christ in his birth. So to start this morning, if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 will be in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And what we're going to see here is that God is a promise-keeping God. Okay, that's the main idea today. Our God is a promise-keeping God. So we're going to see this in a text that I imagine when, when most of you do, imagine you pick up the book of Matthew and you see all these names and you're like, whoop, I'm skipping right over that to where the real stuff is. Well, uh, this morning we're going to learn about the genealogy of Jesus in church. Let me assure you, this genealogy is amazing. It is amazing. Matthew, who wrote it, is primarily here writing to Jews and he's showing his Jewish audience where the Messiah, Jesus, came from where the Messiah Jesus came from. And in this genealogy, Matthew is telling the amazing story of God's faithfulness to the nations of the earth. Okay, so, so as he goes through all of these names, you know, these, the, you know, the people of Israel that are reading this, they're going to see their history in all of these names. They're going to see their history in all of these names. And when they hear these names, their ears are going to perk up. They're going to be like, I know that story. I know this person. And then they're going to see the full story of their people. And they're going to see God's amazing faithfulness in the midst of that story. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read all these names because it is the word of the Lord. So uh, verse one, follow along with me if you can. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez fathered Hezron. And Hezron fathered Aram. And Aram fathered Aminadab. And Aminadab fathered Nashon. And Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam, and Rehoboam fathered Abijah, and Abijah fathered Asa, and Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, and Joram fathered Uzziah, and Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz, and Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, and Manasseh fathered Amon, and Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, and Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, 
And Zerubbabel fathered Abiud, and Abiud fathered Eliakim, and Eliakim fathered Azor, and Azor fathered Zadok, and Zadok fathered Achim, and Achim fathered Eliud, and Eliud fathered Eliezer, and Eliezer fathered Methan, and Methan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. So some of you might be asking yourself, some of you may have felt in the middle of that. Maybe you have you know, a fear of public speaking or maybe of reading it in public and reading all those names just gave you an absolute panic attack uh, for me while you're up here. But some of you might be asking also, why in the world would Matthew start here? Why would he start with a bunch of names? That is so strange. Well, it is curious, especially in light of how the other gospels start. You know, you look at the gospel of John and it's, and it's like, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we're all like, yes, right? And then we look at Luke and Luke is like, uh, he's writing to Theophilus and, and he says, I'm writing this to you so that you may know with certainty the things uh, by which you've been instructed. And Mark you know, Mark, he wastes no time, and he dives right in. In the first couple of verses, he said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but not Matthew. Matthew starts with a genealogy. Well, what is that about? Well, church, let me assure you, Matthew is not trying to win the award for the most boring opening to, to, the, to a book of the Bible. He's being very specific, and he's being very purposeful. And if you know anything about Jewish history or Jewish people, they were sticklers about knowing genealogies because their identities were determined by familial connections. And since Matthew's primarily speaking to a Jewish audience here, what he's showing them is he's showing them the history of where the Messiah, Jesus, came from. And in this genealogy, Matthew's going to show the amazing story of God's faithfulness to all nations of the earth. And Matthew is showing them that God is a covenant-making, promise-keeping God, and Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to all the people that he just listed. So when these people read this, when they hear this, their ears perk up because this is their history. And this is where the promised one comes from. They're blown away by this. And the whole point of the book of Matthew is to show that Jesus is the promises, is the, is the promise kept to all of the people. I think verse 17 helps us put handles on this entire genealogy. So let me read it again for us. So verse 17, uh, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. So what we see here is the story of God's people summarized. The story of an adulterous, wicked, and forgetful people and simultaneously a promise-keeping God. I mean, we could spend hours going through all of these names. Uh, you know, there's 42 names through here. There's some pretty awesome women in this genealogy. We could spend a bunch of time there, uh, but we're not going to this morning. But what we are going to do is we're going to walk through these three sections so that we can see the story of God and how Jesus is the fulfillment to the promises of all of these people. So let's start with Abraham, okay? Let's start with Abraham. Matthew starts his genealogy by going from Abraham 
to David. Now it goes chronologically from Israel's beginning to the rise of Israel's greatest king, which was King David. In the beginning, God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation and that through him, he would be a blessing to every family on earth. Now, this, this, this should make sense to us, right? This should make sense because we heard this almost a similar thing with Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply. He also told Noah the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And what he meant by that was to fill the earth with worshipers. But instead of doing that, these people, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to stick stick it to God and say, you know what? We're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to make a great city to our name, to the sky, to the heavens, because we want to do what we want to do. So what did God do? He confused their language and he scattered them all over the earth. And it was from this very people, this dysfunctional, this ruined, and this cursed people that came the father of Israel, Abraham. God is in the midst of everything. And here's what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, if you want to look with me. Then the Lord said to Abram, which is Abraham before God renamed him, uh, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will, be, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, this may not sound like a big deal at face value, but this is what led the Apostle Paul to cry out in amazement in Romans eleven thirty three 33, when he said, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You see here, this is where God promised them land, and he promised Abraham that he would have offspring, even though he was really old. And we see this kind of confirmed even more in Genesis 12, 7. And it says that God was going to establish his people in this promised land, this promised land that he had for them. And then a few chapters later, God did one of those, one of the most amazing and one of the weirdest, it is so weird, one of the weirdest things in all of the Old Testament. So after making a covenant promise to Abraham, he told him, now this is amazing, that he would keep his promise even if Abraham and his descendants didn't, didn't follow through on theirs. That's who our God is. He keeps his promises. You see it around the time of Abraham when people made covenant agreements with each other. So this would be the equivalent, I think, but way more intense of like a, you know, a good handshake deal. Uh, so this is what they did. Pretty wild. Uh, uh, here's what they did. They, uh, they made a covenant agreement with each other, and it took place in the form of two people walking between animals that had been sacrificed. Okay, so by doing this, each person was saying, if I break my word in this covenant or in this promise, may I be cursed like this dead animal. Pretty intense, right? Well, with the covenant that God made to Abraham, God caused Abraham to sleep. And then God came down and he walked in an image of a, of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And he walked through the separated animal halves by himself. So what he was communicating there is that regardless of whether or not Abraham and his offspring were faithful to him, he would keep his promises. He would keep his promises. That was God's decision, and he would uphold, not not only would he uphold his promise, 
but he's going to uphold Abraham's promise too. He's going to make sure of it. Why? Because he's a promise-keeping God. It's amazing. Now, overall, I think in this section, what we see is the promise to Abraham is actually the gospel itself. You know, we see God promising to be faithful to people, even though his his people wouldn't be faithful to him. Does that not sound like us? I think this promise also points us to Christ saving work with people among all nations. We see this in Galatians 3, 7 through 9. He says, you know then that those who have faith, right? So, so anyone who is now a Christian, these are Abraham's sons. Now, Scripture saw in advance that God would justify, that God would save the Gentiles. So Gentiles, anyone who's not you know, a Jew, by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. And consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So what Paul is saying here is that anyone who has put their faith in Christ is the fulfillment of this Abrahamic covenant promise. So anyone in here that is not a Jew is a fulfillment of, to this covenant promise to Abraham. Church, our God is a promise-keeping God. That's who he is. But getting back to this genealogy, we, see, we saw in this first section that is Israel's story from the beginning of Abraham to David. And David was the man that welded Israel into a nation and made them into a, to a power in the world. And in this next section, uh, we're going to see the story go from Israel's greatest king down to the exile in Babylon. You see, this is the section that when the readers read this, when the Jewish readers read this, this section, they knew they knew it was coming. This is the story of Israel's shame, tragedy, and disaster. But before Israel ended up in exile, God made a covenant promise to David. And it was built upon the promise that he made to Abraham already. And it was very similar. We'll see it in 2 Samuel 7. I won't read through all the verses. Um, but God's promise sounded very similar to Abraham's because it, built, it builds upon the promise that he made to him. He said, David, I'm going to make your name great. We're going to plant Israel in the land of Canaan, in the promised land, and to raise up David's offspring to keep David's line on the throne. So all these promises are really important, but especially the idea that a ruler was going to come from the line of David and that this ruler would would put the kingdom of Israel and all the kingdoms of the earth back in order. We also see this prophetic language. We saw it in Isaiah 9, which we read earlier, and we see it in Isaiah 11, where uh, where Isaiah describes this future king, uh, this Messiah to come to be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's father, right? upon whom the spirit of the Lord would rest. We see it in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, where we see that the king is a branch from the line of David who will reign uh, in king and he will deal wisely with the people and he would be the Lord of the righteous. And then we, we see in Ezekiel 34 that this king would be described as a perfect shepherd for the people. Matthew wanted his hearers, and he wanted us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. And interestingly enough, you might have caught it, Matthew started off the book, if you look back in verse 1, it says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. But when he looked at, when he, when he listed out this genealogy, which one did he actually start with? Abraham. What he was doing is he was announcing right away before he got into all these names, the son of David, the son of David. This was a declaration to this people, to this Jewish people. Hey, the Messiah has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's exactly what John the Baptist said. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. These people knew this was, wait a minute, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? The son of David is here? Wait a minute, that's the Messiah. I need to listen to this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to David. He was showing them in the very first words of this gospel, son of David, that God is a promise-keeping God and Jesus is the, prom is the promise kept to Israel and to the world. All right, so we've seen the first section. Now we've seen the second section. Now we're going to the third. And this is um, uh, David leading up, uh, I'm sorry, from exile to Christ. And at this point, Israel grew up. They, they, gosh, they were so wicked that God had to send them out of the promised land and into exile. Israel has had king after king, and they wanted to follow themselves rather than following God. And because of their disobedience, God sent them into exile away from this promised land that he promised them. And God told Israel at the end of Deuteronomy 28, you may remember this, that they had special access to God. I mean, think about it. They had special access to God. The other nations did not have access to him like they did. But they had special access to God, but because they disobeyed, he would end up, they would end up serving their enemies, which is exactly what happened. And that might sound harsh, but again, remember that Israel was a wicked people. They always forgot the Lord. He would send prophets to them. He would send judges to them. He would send leaders to them to remind them of who God was and to get them back on track. But time and time again, they ended up trampling on his blessings to serve other gods. But no matter how unfaithful Israel was, God was still at work. God was still at work. Israel was an adulterous people, but God was still going to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham and that he made to David. And it was right here while God's people were living in exile and in ruin that God made a new promise a new covenant promise to Israel. And these promises are amazing. This new promise to Israel is one of the clearest explanations of the gospel in all of, scripture, in all of scripture. And it's right in the middle of the Old Testament. So church, please, if you will turn with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. And I'm going to start in verse 22. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Now listen, I'm going to read a long, ch long chunk of passage here. Listen, you need to lock in because this is absolutely amazing what God does. Ezekiel 36, 22, he said, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went, I will honor the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. 
The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God, which I will demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Now, verse 24 through 29 is absolutely mind-blowing. Read this with me. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. Verse 26, here's the gospel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit, capital S, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people. Listen to this. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will save you from all your uncleanliness. Church, that's the gospel in the Old Testament. That is amazing. Church, God knew, God knew that we could not and Israel could not live up to their end of the promise. Why? Because we have a problem. We have a problem and it's called sin. The Old Testament law was pointing to them and to us that our sin renders us incapable of doing right. And what we needed more than anything was not more rules, not promises of prosperity. What we needed was a new heart. What we needed was a new heart. And I love this. It says that he will put his, he will put my spirit. And then it says that I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like, I almost kicked that over. Uh, uh, I feel like oftentimes Christians, we know intellectually, we know because of Ephesians 2, that we have been, been saved by grace through what? Through faith. And it's not of our own It is a gift of what? Amen. We know that it's not from our works, but oftentimes what we do to ourselves is we place ourselves back into that workspace righteousness because we sin and we forget God, and then we feel like we have to obey him to get right with him again. Isn't that what we do? It's exactly what we do. But what we see here is not only is our salvation from God, but we also see that our obedience is from God. So it says that he will give us a heart of flesh, right? And then verse 27, I will place my spirit within you, again, capital S. And then he says, I will cause you to follow my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. So church, not only again, not only is your salvation from God, but also your works are from God. Apart from God, you and I can do nothing. We are hopeless people. But because of God and because he keeps his great promises and because we are a fulfillment of a covenant from long ago, we can walk in obedience to Christ. That's amazing. And again, he ends this by saying, you will be my people. And I will be your God. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but some of you need to hear that God is saying to you that you are my person and I am your God. Do not be afraid because I keep my promises. So question, 
what does this have to do with us? Right? What does this genealogy, this long list of names, what does this have to do with us? Um, well, here's the first one. Write this down. In Christ, this genealogy is our family history. So get to know your family. In Christ, this genealogy is our family history. So get to know your family. So uh, a couple years ago, you may have remembered this, uh, but we had a pastor from Cuba uh, come here and he preached on this stage in Spanish, which was absolutely amazing. Um, and so he was staying with me throughout his week when he was here. And we were in, we were in the living room of my house and, and we were just talking and, and he was talking about the word because that's what that man does. He's amazing. And uh, he starts talking and then, he's, and then he rattles off a few Old Testament names. And he's like, you know what I'm talking about, Scott, right? And I was like, yeah, no, nope, I don't remember that name. And he was like, what do you, what do you mean? He was, and then he's like, well, what about this person? And what about that person? What about this person? And I, y'all, I'll be honest, I didn't know any of these names. These are like the most random names, like the wife of so-and-so. I had no idea who he was talking about. And then he looks, then he looks at me and he's like, you know, what are you doing? Then he looks at my wife and he starts quizzing her and she got him all right. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, I'm looking terrible out here, but I did marry up, which is good. Uh, so, so then he looks at me and he says, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, he said, Scott, how are you going to remember your family history if you don't know your genealogies? How are you going to know your family history if you don't know your genealogies? So if you're a Christian today, you need to understand that in Christ, this is now your lineage. This is now your lineage. This is now your family history. And the story of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, is a story that we have to remember. But unfortunately, too many Christians are unhitching the Old Testament from the New Testament. I heard one pastor say that the worst page in all of the Bible is the blank page between Malachi and Matthew. The worst page between all the Bibles is the blank page between Malachi and Matthew because it breaks the Bible up and it's not meant to be broken up. He said it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And I think one of the greatest dangers of being a Christian that only reads the New Testament is that the theme of God being a promise-keeping God is largely going to be lost on you. You're going to have no idea about that. So what will happen is you will operate throughout life in your walk with the Lord, looking through a lens of constant skepticism all the time. Why? Because you don't know that our God keeps his promises to his people, always. He always keeps his promises. So you'll always be looking for reasons to not trust God and then always looking for what seems to be evidence of him not showing up for you. When in, in reality, it's the, it's the exact opposite. I mean, you look at these names. You look at these names and you see that this is Jesus' promise kept to all of them. God's, God holds up his promises even when we break ours. So this person, listen, if you've unhitched the Old Testament from the New, listen, I understand, I get it. You know, the, you know in the Old Testament, you got people walking through dead animals about covenants and promises. Like, there are things that are difficult to understand. But if, if that is you, 
don't read the Bible in isolation. Find another brother, find another sister to help you understand. Because if you don't know that history, if you don't know your family history, then you're doomed to not know that our God is a promise-keeping God. Number two, write this down. This genealogy shows us that God is sovereign. So trust that past grace is promise of future grace. This genealogy shows us that God is sovereign. So trust that past grace is promise of future grace. So if this genealogy shows us anything, it's that God is in control, right? So as you might have guessed, these three lists, so 14 names, 14 names, 14 names, this is not a comprehensive list you know, from everyone in this family line. This was a very selective list that Matthew chose to show us Israel's history. And when you look at some of these names, what you see is God is redeeming and giving purpose to almost thousands of years of pain. That's what he's doing. I mean, I mean, you could go name by name and see how God worked through some horrible, horrible circumstances. God being a promise-keeping God should give comfort to every single person in this room. And when you think about the grand scale of how God orchestrated all of this to save humanity, it is staggering. And if that's all true, then no suffering, no pain, no hardship is outside of God's power to redeem. And because of that, we see God's sovereignty in this genealogy. It gives new meaning to verses like Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for the good to those who what? Love God. And those who are called according to his purpose. Or James 1, 2, consider it great joy when you, uh, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, lacking nothing. Because God is sovereign, we can trust that past grace will mean future grace for his people. Number three. This genealogy points us to our need for a Savior. This genealogy points us to our need for a Savior. Y'all, you and I are more like Israel than we might think. Like Israel, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But church, this is why we need to be in awe of Christmas. This is why we need to be in awe of this passage because what we see here is we see this story and we are very much like Israel apart from Christ. We quickly forget. We quickly wander. And God is calling you home right now. In this genealogy, in this history, God is saying, hey, look at what I have done. And because of that, look at what I will do. God always keeps his promises, and there is no greater way that he did that than sending his son Jesus to live a life that we could never, ever, ever live, to die a death that you and I really do deserve. And then God raised from the dead, Jesus raised from the dead, and when we put our faith in that and in him, that promise is kept and we are sealed with God and we are reconciled back to our Father. God always keeps his promises. So I don't know where you are this morning. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, 
we've been talking about a genealogy, you know, all morning. And I also know that Christmas is often a time of family being together, right? And you look at your genealogy, you look at your family, and sometimes you can be left feeling hopeless because of that. And I wanted to share really quickly with you just a story of my genealogy, my family history. So, um, so Urbanics moved to the United States somewhere in the late 1700s. Uh, they were actually Methodist church planters, believe it or not. And so they moved to the United States, and they were, they were church planters, but somewhere along the line, uh, you know, the, the family didn't continue to follow the Lord. Um, and then uh, in the 1800s, um, the Urbanics uh, fought uh, for the South in the Civil War. And they fought for the South in the Civil War. And there was a moment in the Civil War where a revival broke out in one of the camps. And hundreds of soldiers got saved. And those hundreds of soldiers then quickly, they said, you know what, because of God saving me and because of God being made in man's image, I can't fight anymore in good conscience. I can't fight anymore. So what happened is a lot of these men ended up getting killed for treason. But one of my ancestors, he, he was actually just put into prison along with a number of others. And, and so eventually he was in prison for a while. Um, but eventually that war ended. The North won, thank God, <laughs> right? And after that, um, he realized that, that his, his line cannot end with him being known as the one who is fighting for, for, for slavery. So what he did is he and his family said, we're moving to the Congo. And they moved to the Congo, and they moved to the specific part of Congo where, where people hadn't been before. And then there were believers now in Congo that somewhere throughout the line, someone came to them, one of my family members came to them and shared the gospel with them as a missionary. So listen, I don't know what your family has going on, but remember that God does keep his promises and he wants to save people. Your family is not too far gone. And who knows what God will do through them. So please, be awakened in wonder at who God is and what he has done for you. Share the good news of Jesus this Christmas season, especially with your family. And I pray that this genealogy will be a hope for you, that God is in your family, even in your family mess. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this genealogy. Lord, thank you for putting it in the scriptures. Thank you for putting all of these names recorded down in the Bible so that we could look back and we can look at our family history. A history of a people who quickly forget you. A history of a people that you constantly pursued. And when I look back on my life, God, you constantly pursued me. Lord, you constantly pursued me. And Lord, I pray for the person who, who may not know you this morning. God, I pray that they will see that you love them and that you love them so much that you died for them. God, I pray during this awakening wonder series that that will happen. 
that we will leave in awe of you. Jesus, that we will be in awe of you coming down here to save us. Christ, we love you. We praise you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.